Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's <clears throat> Tuesday night. I'm going to see if it's possible. Um, because I have the time now, I'm going to try to do the Haftarah, make it a clean sweep. That means this week, it's a clean sweep because of the uh, sponsorship's generosity, as I've said all week, uh, the Glucks of uh, Abe Gluck and Gluck Plumbing, um, in, in memory, sponsoring the um, podcast this week, the three podcasts in memory of his folks. Again, it's Chaim Lezer Shalom Ben Tubi Gedalia, and Chaya Fegel, Bas, Yibadol Lechaim, Reb Shmaya Glick. Glick. You know, I mean, you don't see this, obviously, how would you do so? <coughs> I, I'm happy to say that I get emails all the time from people. Most of it, uh, just about all of it are, are, are positive. And people say, I'm not doing this to my horn, I'm making a point here. I mean, how much they like this, or how much they were inspired by that, or whatever, you know, some are the Aftara, some are this, some are that. Um, all I'm trying to say is, uh, anything we toot of this week is going for the Zuchus of the Niftarn, because they're sponsored, uh, I mean, that's what I say, it's a big Indian. So I thank the Glucks. I also want to uh, mention that uh, my son told me that uh, on my YouTube site, which is now called uh, Jewish History with Rabbi uh, David Katz, Rabbi Dr. David Katz. So they're loading up two series this week um, that I did in the past. That's how he has it worked out. He puts out some each each week or something like that. <clears throat> and I did one last year during the corona about Jews and war, which I thought was an interesting topic. I did five or six talks on that. And the other one, he put up, let me see now, what else did they, uh, oh yeah, something I did a number of years ago, which is basically the Japs and the Jews, <laughs> some title like that, that's not correct, politically correct, but basically with the Jews and Pearl Harbor, the Pacific War and the Jews, which I kind of um, think a lot of people don't know much about, and it's a chapter in American history with a Jewish angle, at least that was the theme that I did a couple years ago. I don't know if you're the type of person that's interested in the American history with the Jewish angle, but that's what it's about. So if you're interested in any of those topics, uh, you know, go to the YouTube site. You should definitely subscribe if you haven't subscribed, because each one of those helps. And without any further ado, let's take a look at this very famous Haftorah in Parsha Shoftim. Again, we're continuing with the Shiba de Nechemta. The prophet Yeshayahu is really, you know, <laughs> going all out. Right, the full business, predicting the glory. Manovu al harim raglam He's foreseeing Eliyahu and they'll be coming. You know, messianic times. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you the truth. One of the good things I like about a podcast is I can do it, say whatever the heck I want. Sometimes, when I look at a Torah, I'm inclined to try to 
explain it or deconstruct it within its context. Uh, that's one of the things I like to do, to historically contextualize something. So why did Nubby say this when he said it and so forth? But other times, I don't feel like that. Tonight, I don't feel like that. And instead, <clears throat> I would like to point this week to famous phrases and concepts which took off because Yeshayo was unbelievably eloquent. And some became Mamashal, you know, classics. And these are the things that helped the Jewish people get through the Golas so far. Okay? So far. Obviously, it's got the same theme as the others. Claudius Rowe was downtrodden. Sometimes they're just, excuse me, described as a, beg your pardon, sometimes described as a widow. Sometimes they're described as a, you know, a, a slave. You know, that sort of thing. This week, the Jewish people discussed or described in several different vivid ways. Um, one of them is indeed a, a, a widow and all that without the children. Children starved, you know, Barosh Kolchutsos, you know, um, that that sort of thing. Uh, no question about that. Uh, the Jewish people are described over here in a very vivid way as a victim. That the guy walk over. Right? I'll take your enemies and put them in, in, in your hands. They used to say to you, bend down, we're going to walk all over you. But to see me, and they made your, you know, back something to walk on. And, uh, and like, uh, you know, like, uh, something to step on and, 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 uh, and hurt as they walk over it. Uh, Right? Or like a, a chutz, or like the outside. This is literally true. Uh, there are many times, it comes just to come to mind, the, the Cossacks in Khmelnytsky's time, the Imamish did this. Among other tortures, they used to make all these Jews lie down, and then they would ride horses and juggle like that over them. That's how they torture them to death. Now, uh, Babylonians did this also. There's a certain Medrash in Eche that talks about that. Uh, we've been through a lot. And what he's saying over here is, a time will come when the, the dead trampled one will rise again. Uri, Uri, Livshi Uzech Tzion. You know, that sort of thing. That's the one that just was walked and trampled on. So that's one very famous way of describing Claudius Rome as downtrodden. And when I say downtrodden in the literal sense, they were forced to lie down and trodden over. Uh, this is a very vivid image because it does reflect uh, many times in different goloses that Jews were crushed to death. Their culture certainly was crushed to death. You know what I mean? The culture certainly was crushed to death. Shriven It didn't get the respect, you see. Um, there are some goloses in which the Jews got a certain respect, but some none. Shriven and but the similarities got it That's just the way it is. The Islamic countries usually are like that. Um, no respect. Now, another one, which is very vivid, is this concept, which is I always loved this shuras velomiyayin, that the Jewish people described. Tzion is described as shuras velomiyayin. They're drunk, but not from wine. So if it's not from wine, what is it? The answer is saris. Vaitog, you know, uh, persecution. <clears throat> this is the idea that a person, and certainly a nation, 
can get so downtrodden, as they say, that you just kind of lose any interest in going on. Your a person that's drunk, is not responsible and doesn't act in a rational fashion. Uh, you see a drunk cross the street in the middle of the traffic. What are you doing? Why are you acting suicidally? There's no question. It's shchuras. It's a drunk. And Jewish people today, so many, are basically walking the suicide uh, uh, route as Jews. As the American Jewry and the Jews around the world you know, disappear more and more with intermarriage and assimilation all the rest of it. How do you do that? You know, why are you allowed this to happen? The answer is, you can't blame the shchuras for I, you tell me, Jew in America is not persecuted. Not physically persecuted. I would say culturally. If you allow, you don't have to allow it. You do not have to allow it. It's a free country. But if you do allow it, you end up with shchuras lamiyayin. I would even go farther. We have today, as we all know, unfortunately, uh, big problems uh, everywhere among Jews, and I'm speaking especially the from world, with the addictions. You know, nobody wants to talk about it, and everybody knows somebody that has it. <clears throat> Sometimes their own family, their own kids. And uh, what is that all about? It's literally true. When I see Shkuras, I'm thinking today of the alcoholism, which people can make fun of, but it's not funny. Uh, wait a minute, it's Shkuras V'lomiyayin. In the prophet Isaiah was for a single time, we have people being drunk and they're not drunk from wine. Is it drunk from booze? You know, bourbon, scotch, liquor, whatever you want. Uh, and that's actually growing more and more. The more simple as I go to, <laughs> the fancier the bottle. Uh, somebody gave me, <laughs> somebody gave me for poor, nice person, a bottle. It's worth more than my house, you know. Uh, <laughs> my kids won't let me take it out. I'm just saying, there's a schwartz behind. But it's also true that we have this big trouble with the drugs. It's a shuras filomian. The drugs leave people drunk, or with the same effect of clouding the judgment, of of introducing, by the way, a depression, because the drugs and all the stuff, when it becomes a hab forming, it takes over you. You end up the person is not happy. I mean, I know people like this, and so do you. Maybe some of you who are listening to this have experienced this. Maybe some of you who are listening to this are experiencing it right now. I don't know you. Is this schwartz And in the time of Yeshayahu, one would think, or if I were talking about this 20, 30 years ago, they'd say, oh, they're oppressed and they're drunk with Tsaris. You know, think of somebody who just survived the Holocaust or something like that, or was in the middle of the Holocaust. Is this schwartz There's no question that that's true. But prophecies are of such a nature, I always argue. That they're multivalent. They can mean one thing, but they can mean other things as well. Depending on the tukuf and the time and the place in which you're living. You understand? That's the yisod, as far as I'm concerned, about Nebuah. You can see it from different angles because it will manifest itself in different angles as history marches on. Um, there may be some different shkurslomiyayin in the future. But there's no question that the Prophet today pounds it for all it's worth because... He says, you know, uh, you were, what do you call it? Uh, you're afflicted, uh, but God will take this poison and give it to the guy.
to the oppressors. So, what is the image? Uh, you're drunk from drinking poison. Poison can also induce, you know, it's not like the movies, you know, you just drink the poison and you drop dead. I mean, there is there is that. You know, like Hitler did. What do they call it? The cyanide. Of course you have that. But a lot of poisons work much slower and uh, corrupt much more gradually and had their own painfulness and this sort of thing. Uh, and it's quite a, um, and the Jews were forced to drink it, literally as well as figuratively. I'll say it again, literally as well as figuratively. And here the Navi Yeshayahu is saying, as we had come in that site, the time will come, Mashiach time, whatever, that God says, I'll take this cup of poison and make you drink it. You the oppressors. <coughs> Which means that there will be other nations that are fascinating. There are Goshen nations in the world who will have to undergo the Jewish experience. They won't be used to that. Usually they're the bullying types. So they're on the uh, giving end, not the receiving end. But you want to know something? If you look around the world with uh, prophet eyes, you see, sometimes these things are happening. For example, <coughs> there were nations that kicked the Jews out of the country. These nations are losing their country right now to the Islamic immigrants they're invading. For example, Sweden, or something I read the other day. Uh, they're going to be gone soon. Uh, how do you explain it? You know, it's a, I'll give you the cup of poison, like the prophet says, and instead of giving to the Jews to drink, you drink it. See what, see what it tastes like. That's quite a... Uh, in the voice, part of the prophecy, the Ishayo is forecasting. Uh, then you have the uh, descriptions over here. Again, very powerful to me. And that is towards the end. Very vivid. The end is very, very vivid. It says, uh, I'm skipping around over here. Uh, it says, Oh, you know, the voice of the of the watchmen are going to shout that the Mashiach is here and so on and so forth. And then he says, at the end, the time will come when the Goyim will say, get the heck out of here and go back to Israel. Get the heck out of here and get out of here. Tommy, I'll go. You know, don't touch the, the you make things Tommy. Just leave our country. Go to Israel. Tsumi Tocho, he borrowed no seclation. He borrowed no seclation. To you, the Kohanim and Levim, they used to be the ones who carried the Kalim in the desert, you know, uh, as we all know. So, uh, what he's saying to you is, uh, he borrowed, stay pure. Watch what you touch. So basically, get out of here and don't touch anything coming. What's going on? And the Navi goes on to say, you have to understand something. When you leave, notice when comes Mashiach time or something like that, and none of us know whether Mashiach time is a process which unfolds over a long time. That's sort of like the Ben Akiva type approach, you know, Rav Cook approach. Or whether it's something sudden that has nothing to do with what's going on in the present in Israel. Who knows? Who knows? Raise your hand if you say you know. I want to see how many liars there are. Okay? Now, one thing we know, and that is, when the Jews left Mitzrayim, it was a Bechipa as we all are familiar, of course. Major theme we see Mitzrayim. 
What's the shot with Bechipa Zone that they left quickly? Oh, they left so quickly that the matzah couldn't rise. What's the shot with that? So, there's all kinds of ways of looking at it. As you know, I'm not going to tell you anything now that you're not familiar with already. Uh, one way is to say like this. Wow, Yeshua Hashem Karevine. Sure, the whole story of Tzitzit Ryan involves a major element of Yeshua Hashem Karevine. The rapidity of the Gula. Consider, the Jews are slaves in Egypt. Their mom is screwed over. They're crying out to God. They say, we can't take this anymore. And so on and so forth. And uh, help us. We can't stand this anymore. You know, by Ishmael came and so forth. So, that's in Shemos. What is the next Pusik? Moses, the shepherd, goes up to Harchor, chasing after a sheep, whatever, and encounters the burning bush. The Hainu. At 12 o'clock, 11.45 in the afternoon, in the morning, the slaves in Egypt were at the royal funeral, and they cried their heads up. We can't take anymore. Right? But then they went back to work. They had to. They cracked a whip. And they figured, no, we dobbin, but, you know, who knows? Nothing's going to happen of it. But at 12 o'clock, far away, hundreds of miles away in Midian, a shepherd named Moses comes across the snare of the burning bush, and then the wheels are set in motion, and within less than a year, these people who look like the at the at the slavery's endless are gone. So that's a chipazon, basically. That they weren't expecting it. And um when it happened to them quickly, even though ten months is not so pushing, but to be perfectly honest, if you remember the story, pretty soon by the time you get to the first plague, the slaves in Egypt are no longer under hard labor. So things eased up pretty darn quick, PDQ. And of course, when they leave, they leave pretty rapidly. That's the story of the matzah. So you say, that's very nice. Everything I just said was positive. It's a good thing. Right? Keep the chippahs on, you know, uh, on the other hand, you are well familiar with uh, those teachings that say that the chippahs was actually a negative. What does that mean? It's memtashari tumah. Right? That the Jews were bad, so bad spiritually that if he hadn't yanked them out right then and there, it would have been too late to have been totally assimilated. We all have heard that. So in that case, the chippahs was not a good thing. It was just a necessary thing. They say in Hebrew, That which is necessary is neither to be praised nor condemned. It's necessary. So there is God wanting to save the Jewish people for whatever reason. He promised our Mitzayaka. He takes a look at the Jews and he said, another two minutes and they're totally gone. They won't even listen to me. Therefore, I'll pull them out right now. So it turns out the Chippazon was nothing so... I mean, it's a great miracle, but it was nothing so positive except in the sense... The guy was willing to speed things up in order to keep his promise. But it actually is a bad reflection on Jewish people, because had they not been so close to going totally in the Memtashar, in the Chamishim Sharatumah, the Mabashalom would not have to do Chippazom. Hear what I just said? God found himself compelled to do Chippazom because of the bad nature of the Jews. He was willing to do it 
to keep his promise, but it would have been better not to. So that's an interesting twist. So all of a sudden, the Chibazim is not a positive thing. It's a fundamentally a negative thing. We're grateful for it, obviously, but it's a negative business. It's a different way of looking at it altogether. Um, there are other factors as well, but let's just stick with that one. Uh, you know, if they would take their time, they would rethink it. They might not leave so quickly. As it is, every 10 minutes they want to go back to Mitzrayim once they're already in the desert, as we all know the story very well. The Chibazan is very, very interesting. But it also means that you kind of left. Not exactly, but somewhat like like thieves in the night. No, you ran away, you escaped from jail. Now, it is true that Moshe said to Paro, you're going to have to officially say, and they made sure to leave in the middle of the day, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Having said that, Pharaoh said you can leave. Moses assembled everybody. And by 12 the next morning, they were the heck on the way out of there. Um, it sounds like a mass escape. Matter of fact, Pharaoh Taka chased after them within a few days. Because the rapidity of their departure made it seem like they had something to hide or something guilty. A crook, a criminal, a guilty person runs away. Right? And what it means is you're afraid that the people who you're running away from, the jailer, the country, whatever it is, might come after you. Which talked to happen to the Jewish people, as we all know, with the Aussie Usher. And so the assessment Shrine was marred by the fact that the Jews said we're escaping over here, but if they ever come and get us again, we're really up to creep. Which is why they kept saying, let's go back to Egypt and surrender to them. And things like that. Here, the prophet Yeshayahu, a very smart person, obviously. I'm silly for me to say. He's saying, I can see my noble Al-Haram Raglam Avasar. There will be one day a splendid Geula. And the Goyim will let the Jews go. And the roads will be clogged with uh, with pilgrims returning to Israel. And so on and so forth. You know, Nichashem Amo, Gal Yushalayim, that God will, uh, you know, comfort his people. He will revive the land of Israel. Pitzchu Ranu Yachtov, all these harvest Yushalayim, the ruins of Jerusalem rejoice. He's another way of saying there'll be major rebuilding and all the rest of it. But, but, will the Jews look back on their using Golis with nostalgia? If they do, it's a bummer. Because then you'll have the same flaw that they had from the Gaulish Mitzrayim. Whether you like it or not, the Jews look back at the Gaulish Mitzrayim with a nostalgia, as we all know. Sometimes they remembered the food. Remember, they had the Kishuim. Sometimes they remembered, you know, the, the, the stable nature of the regime in Egypt. Better to die in Egypt than in the desert. All that kind of stuff. A real geula has to be the type of geula in which you look back with no regrets. I don't, I don't, you know, feel bad that I left the old situation. And imagine it's it's interesting because there are even people who went through the Holocaust, and especially the Yekis that I encountered, but even the others. Oh, it was very nice when back in Europe, 
everything was gewaldic. We had a nice upbringing. Then came Hitler. But otherwise, it was great. You know? It really wasn't that great. If you have... Like, if it's as you proceed forth to the final Geula, you look back with your head over your shoulders and say, I, you know, listen, I'm glad to imagine somebody today say like this. Oh, the Mashiach say I'm going to Israel. Oh, Vader, the summer's going to be a bummer. At least in America, I'm going to air conditioning. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's it? You, see, you see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm never going to see baseball again. Uh, yeah, I'm never going to do this. If you have that attitude, it's a fundamental flaw in your character. It means the final goal will not be successful. I repeat, the final goal will not be successful. Which is why it says over here, it's such a heavy, pregnant pussy. And I would recommend that you examine this pussy if you have time, the inclination, on Shabbos, with a fine tooth comb, because it's very interesting, where it says, When you have the final gula, which the prophet Isaiah, of course, is um is uh, predicting in this week's after uh, the end. Ki uh, When you leave, it won't be quickly. And you will not run out of there, fleeing. Right? You won't depart in flight. You know, you When you walk out of Golis, you're not going to feel like that. Very heavy pussy. I guess he needed a Kabbalist for this. I can't even do justice to it. Because when you leave Golis for the final Google, you're gonna have you're being you're gonna be in a sandwich. You'll have a protective guard in front of you and a protective guard behind you. So you'll have nothing to worry about. The the protective guard in front of you will be Hashem And walking behind you as a rear guard is, you know, covering your back. Now, what's the difference between Yud Kevavke and El Yisrael? They most mean God. Yeah, but they're obviously different beginnings of God. Yud Kevavke is more, I think, like a, what should I say, a universal God, a philosophical God who represents existence without getting into the nitty-gritty of that. You know, the Rambam says that the Yud Kevavke, the Tetragrammaton, as they call it, is like the best name of God, and so on and so forth. So that's, you know, the God who runs the world. But a different aspect is El Yisrael. Now again, I don't want to get Kabbalistic here in Kabbal. There is something called El Yisrael, but let's leave that aside. It's not for here. El Yisrael means the way that this universal God relates to Klai Yisrael in a unique fashion. We call Marching ahead of you as you leave for the final Gula, and you head towards Eretz Yisrael, you will be preceded, right? The thoughts of the universal God. But look, when you look back, like said, like Lot's wife looked back to Sadog, you're going to see the role of God in history, treating Kali Yisrael something special, even though it makes others angry, and arranging for this final final gula, even though. You are shkores below me, I am. I'm just touching on the, but I think you see what I'm saying, right? 
Masichem El Kisro, the one that's going to the, the the special relationship of El Kisro, that's what's going to be behind you. So what's he saying over here? As I understand it, what he's saying is, when the final gula comes, you're not going to have nostalgia for the past gulas. I they always did in the past, yeah, but not next time, not the final time. Uh, and that means that the final goals will be a real gula, a final gula will be a real gula, because you won't have the character flaw that led you to repeat the goals again. And the other times, there's something in your genes that, you know, like I said, made you look back. And in the Chippozim, when you left, Kolos, it wasn't calm. Uh, next time, be different. Now, I could explain this in a simplistic way. Uh, all right, I will. But this is not the totality of it whatsoever. Just to make this simple to understand. I'm going to make this up. This is just a made-up story. Let's say the Jews were in an island ruled by some terrible Gaisha nation. And then something happened on the island, and all these bad nations got killed. Every one of them. They got a plague. Everyone got killed. So here the Yidden left over. And literally, everybody's dead. So, if they say, we're going to go from here to Israel, we're going to get a bunch of boats. There's no hurry. There's nobody doing anything to you. Everyone on the island is dead. You know, there's nothing to freak you out. You can take your time and do it right. So instead of just getting on a boat and running away, they said, no, we're going to do this right. We're going to take stuff with us. Whatever they're going to do. So often, you, you see what I mean, right? So often in Jewish history, especially in recent history, it was Bechipa Zone. It's just interesting to me from a history perspective. If you know the state of Israel and Eretz Israel, so many people got their Bechipazon and they're glad they did. I'm just, I'm not going in any order. Think of the people who ran away when the Shah fell from power in Iran. Think of people who were able, got lucky and ran away from the Hitler and were able to get to Israel. Many times the state of Israel itself, if you know the stories, did a chipazon, the Jews of Morocco and in Romania, the other countries. They got the green light somebody, they bribed somebody. For a short time was there, they got the planes in, get these people the heck out of here and get them to Israel. The Taimanim is a good example. With all the problems that happened with the Taimani Aliyah, I know about that. The fact is, they got those guys out of there. But it was a chipazon. They couldn't take a lot with them. They're lucky to leave with the skin on their uh, 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 on their you know the the, the shirt on their back. Same thing with the Jews of Iraq. Now, whatever mistakes were made, and many mistakes were made by the Israelis, the Ben-Gurion era, I did a whole series on that. Maybe it's on my line somewhere. Uh, nevertheless, an Iraqi Jew today is glad he don't live in a country called Iraq, which was went through hell. A Syrian Jew is glad he hasn't lived the last 20 years in Syria, and everything just exploded. A Yemenite Jew is glad, I would imagine, he doesn't live in Yemen, and so on and so forth. So on and so forth. That's called Lobachibazon Tetzayim. Right? Um, and so, I'll conclude by saying, the Prophet Yishai was a smart guy. He knows his Jewish character. He knows, as I said before, that 
an American makes Aliyah but then joins a baseball team in Israel, which means he has a nostalgia for the old American South. It's no crime. I mean, you know, I'm not stupid, but I'm just saying the point. And he said, as long as the guy has a feeling for what, you know, the old country, the old thing he left behind, it could transmogrify into maybe a feeling for that Vodazar that they once practiced long ago. But the last time the glorious feature that is predicted in this week's Parsha is one in which it says, This time you're going to leave in a different fashion. You're going to take your time. You're going to leave as a function of uh, a careful and calm reflection rather than haste due to anti-Semitism. And therefore your arrival in this robe and rebuilding your this robe in Mashiach time will be of a different nature. And it'll be one in which, you know, the, the ruins come alive. M- many of us, and me, myself too, but maybe the listen, is in the Gullis. You see? It's interesting. What is it you get hooked on from the Gullis? Now, by the way, you could be born and raised in Israel and still have a nostalgia for Gullis culture, especially with the internet. Especially with the internet. So it's a tricky business. And I think if you, you know, aren't trying to score points, but you try just to analyze it, especially the slayest pusset, I think you get a very fruitful set of conversations, in my opinion, in Shabbos. With that, I close out uh, this series, the biography, the Parsha, the Haftorah. And once again, I want to warmly thank the Gluck family. I may run into them at Lakewood this week. We'll see. And uh, that I wish everybody a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.